When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews, author interviews and book reviews. How are you all doing? I don't know what I've done, but I've done something to my leg. So when I stand up, my leg's just giving way. I've officially reached old age, old woman status. Honestly, I don't know what it is. I'm going to have to... Well, I don't know. I'll just sit here and talk about books and uh, and ignore the fact that I can't actually walk at this time. But it's a good thing I'm sitting here talking to you because I've got some brilliant books to talk to you about. Really, really good books. Let me let me give you uh, a general gist of the books that we're looking at this week. We've got You Can Run by Trevor Wood, If I Let You Go by Charlotte Levin, Freeze by Kate Simmons, One Moment by Becky Hunter and Mrs. March by Virginia Fito. Also, we've got a bookish call in from Rob. We've got lots of people in the lovely Facebook group are reading books. We're going to talk to you about that at the end. There's a lot to get started on. So start I must. And the first book is Trevor Woods, You Can Run. Let me read you the blurb on this one. Ruby Winter is surprised when her reclusive father invites a strange soldier into their house. She eavesdrops on their conversations and is alarmed when she hears a fight break out. She dashes into the kitchen to save her dad, but he's not the one in trouble. The soldier has been stabbed and is bleeding out on the floor. Her dad urges her to pack a bag and they must run. As they try to escape, her dad is shot. Ruby is chased by one of the soldier's comrades, but is hidden by Lucas, a village boy she has ignored up till now. Ruby and Lucas see a military-style ambulance whisk her dad away. She is desperate to find him and must work out who took him and why. But what if learning the truth means discovering that the life she once knew was a lie? Mm, Very, very good. Now, as we do here 
on this podcast from last week onwards, we're getting the author to read the first sentence or sentences to you, not me. So let's go immediately to Trevor Wood for the first sentence. These are the things that Ruby knew for sure last week. One, she was born in Newcastle almost 16 years ago. Two, her dad Alex is her only family in the entire world. Three, she wouldn't hurt a fly. Four, boys are useless. Five, nothing interesting will ever happen to her while she's stuck in a remote village in the middle of Northumberland. Six, eating meat is the biggest crime imaginable. This is what she knows now. None of those things are true, especially number six. Oh, very good. I love this book. It had everything I needed this book to deliver and it delivered and more so. It kept me gripped. I love the characters. I love the pace. It was different to books that I've read recently. I just I haven't read Trevor's other books and shame on me. I need to go back. I really do want to read all of them now because this, you know, this this guy can write, funnily enough. Absolutely bravo, first rate. And let's go and talk to Trevor now. Well, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast Trevor Wood, whose latest wonderful book is You Can Run. Trevor, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, it's very exciting. I mean, before we go on to anything else, can we start with a really basic first question? Can you summarise this glorious book for us? <laughs> my, my quickest summary... Um, which my wife came up with, uh, is The Thursday Murder Club Meets Deliverance, which I really am quite <laughs> fond of. <laughs> yeah, OK, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want me to go into more detail, an armed individual turns up at somebody's house uh, looking for a 15-year-old girl. The girl's father and he get into an altercation and the father is injured and the girl tries to escape and realises that the only people who can help her in this remote Northumberland village are the elderly villagers that she's shunned her entire life. I love this approach. Instead of it being, you know, a chase a sort of around a country or around the world, it was in a village. You know, it, it, <laughs> they say it takes a village to raise a child. And I just, yeah. was that your your aim from the beginning? Not, not quite. I mean, the tagline it, is it takes a village to save a child, which was mine. I liked that um, as soon as I thought of it. But originally, you're right, actually, I, I, I kind of envisaged that it would be a kind of road movie that Ruby and a, a young uh, boy, Lucas, that she teams up with would possibly escape the village and be chased by these individuals. But it very quickly became apparent that it was much more fun to keep it in the village and let the villagers try and solve the problems. It's a bit more claustrophobic. Mm. It's kind of they're confined in this space, um, partially because of the people who are after them and partially because of the weather because it's set during a snowstorm. So I, eventually it became obvious that I should keep them in the village uh, and find ways of avoiding capture. And what was your inspiration for this book? Did, did you just have a picture of Ruby and Lucas or did it build up slowly? I just finished a three-book series and I was basically contractually obliged to deliver one more book and I, I wanted it to be a standalone um, and it took me a while to come up with an idea, but I just kept I kept getting this image, bizarrely, of like a young-ish, a youngest child seeing her previously peaceful and quiet parent committing an extreme act of violence. Um, and I didn't really know what that was. 
why they were committing it or where it was happening. And it just started from there, really. Um, so I just sat down. Start. I, I'm not a planner at all, so I just sat down and wrote the opening chapter and went from there. So was Ruby very clear to you from when you started writing it? Ruby was relatively clear. I was a bit... Obviously, I'm not a 15-year-old girl, and I was a bit nervous about writing from the perspective of a 15-year-old girl. So I did play around with the voice a fair bit. I tested it out on a couple of younger people that I know. I tested it out on a couple of writers that I know that have written either YA or, or books for younger children, just to make sure that the voice was right, and also that I wasn't writing a YA novel unintentionally. It kind of hovers around that territory at times. But I didn't. I wanted to make sure I was writing an adult crime novel that was narrated by a, a young child, really. And I don't want to give any spoilers away, but can I just? Can we just talk about Margaret? I love Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> I love Margaret as well. You've always got to have one character in your book that's just a joy to write. I think, and so that now and again, if you think, "What am I? Where am I going to go next?" You just go, "I'm going to go back to Margaret." So she, we need to hear her. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we yeah. need more Margaret. Uh, uh... <laughs> Everybody needs more Margaret in their life. Yeah, she's a very irascible elderly woman who is is famous for being incredibly nosy she ran the neighborhood watch group um she's also incredibly bossy and and is the last person in the world that ruby would approach for help normally she's avoided or like the plague for the entire time she's lived in the village but she needs help and margaret is one of the few remaining villagers because most of the homes have been turned into second homes mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of empty houses uh, and eventually she has to ask Margaret for her help. Uh, so that's a kind of odd couple friendship that develops as well. So are you a, personally a fan of villages or was this um, a learning experience exploring? <laughs> well, I set the first, my first three books are all set in Newcastle. I live in Newcastle. Um, but Northumberland is on our doorstep and it's like the probably the most remote county in England, I would imagine, for, for, the, for the size of it and the number of people who live there. Uh, and, and I do spend a lot of time up there because it's great to escape um, and, and trek around the country. And particularly uh, during lockdown, when we were allowed to go for walks but not do much else, mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time in Northumberland. And I was already starting to write this book, so it was great. It was like exercise, fresh air and research at the same time. So I would set off and wander around and find different villages and try and find a place that, that worked in my head for the for the book I was writing. Uh, I even booked one of these Airbnbs for about a week and just set off from there every day to find different places and see what they were like. And let's talk about the title, You Can Run. Was that something that you had as the working title from the beginning? Yeah, this one's kind of unusual. I had, you can run, obviously you can run, but you can't hide is the kind of phrase. So I thought everybody will kind of ultimately get that. Um, and it takes a village to save a child. The tagline was exactly what I thought as well. So I, it's unusual, but I've kept them all all the way through. Uh, so, yeah, delighted with that. With your background in writing, you've been a journalist, a, a playwright. But I can't believe this. You, your debut was in 2020, a three crime series. You've won awards. You're highly regarded by readers and authors. Was it was it always your plan to be an author? Was that the, what you were working towards? <laughs> it was my plan when I was about 16. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I wasn't great at school. Um, I, I was really good at English and maths and I was absolutely hopeless at everything else. So I ended up with two 
two CSE grade ones in English and maths and nothing else. So my plans to kind of go into journalism um, were kind of stopped at, at, at source, really. So I did the obvious thing of joining the Navy for 16 years, which is an unusual route to becoming a writer. But I was seduced because the branch I joined in the Navy is called the Writer Branch. Oh, wow. It's actually like human resources, finance, admin, but it's called the Writer Branch. So I was a, an assistant writer, a writer, a leading writer, a petty officer writer, a chief petty officer writer. So I was a writer forever, but I wasn't actually doing anything particularly creative. And then 16 years later, I'd, I'd amassed the qualifications to then go and do a journalism, a journalism course, which I did in my kind of early 30s. So I got there eventually, and from then on, there's been various yeah, creative writing projects. And I'm interested. So you've, because you've been a playwright, I feel like it's a tool that makes you focus on removing anything that isn't absolutely vital to the story and what's happening. And I felt that with the book, you you weren't messing around, you weren't taking us meandering. Yeah. It, we were there. I really wanted this to be a really pacey book. I mean, I, I like my books to be pacey anyway, so I tend to write very short chapters. I like something that, that at the end of the chapter takes you straight into the next chapter, <laughs> yes. so you just keep moving. My, my image is, is that readers are all like me, that they read quite late at night. And if they look forward and there's like 10 more pages to go, they go, oh, I'm going to go to sleep now. But if there's only one or two, they keep going and they keep going and they keep going. So that's my dream. Lovely. No sleep for your readers. Yeah. And I'm a big advocate. I, I think it's attributed to William Golden, uh, Goldman, the screenwriter, enter late and leave early. And I, I use that as a kind of motto almost for the whole story. It's like come into the story as late as you possibly can, come into each chapter as late as you possibly can. So you go straight into the action. And as soon as you've done whatever it is you wanted to do in that chapter, get out and move on to the next chapter. So I try and keep that going. Uh, and in this book, I kind of wanted to start really quickly and then just see if I could keep that pace going. I've got a, um, I had a, a quote from Samuel Gold, Goldwyn, the um, ancient movie producer uh, from back in the 50s and 60s, I think, uh, which was, we want a story that starts with an earthquake and works its way up to a climax. Now, obviously, I don't actually have an earthquake, but I have a kind of metaphorical earthquake, and that's what I was able to right? Every time I slowed down, I just glanced at that and went, try and pick up the pace here. Let's have something else happen. I love that quote and the the end to late, leave early. Yeah. And, yes, and, and that's what I want. I want a book. I just want to be in, straight in. It's it. the kind of book I liked. And the three Jimmy Mullen books that I wrote, which were set in Newcastle's homeless community, were pacey, but not quite the same pace as, as this standalone. And yet you manage the tension very well. It's, you know, I didn't feel exhausted reading it. You, It wasn't too full on. How did you manage that? Well, you do need the, the occasional break, I think. Somebody, I, I, I think an early writing course I did, somebody said uh, that occasionally you need to let readers breathe out rather than making them breathe in and suck in a deep breath. Uh, and I thought that's really good advice. So just now and again, you have to have a moment where you can allow some characters to kind of get to know each other or you can develop a relationship or something like that, but not for too long. And with you writing this as a standalone, were you ever tempted, again, no spoilers, but were you ever tempted to continue the story for any of the characters you might have mentioned in this book? I've been caught like this once, so I, I need to be careful because the first um, Jimmy Mullen book I wrote, The Man on the Street, was always intended to be a standalone. I wrote it as a standalone. It was about a homeless man who saw a murder 
and nobody believed him. And I'm like, that's a standalone book. But everybody who was interested in publishing it said, no, it's a series. We want to see these characters again. So it ended up becoming a trilogy. So I'm, I'm cautious of suggesting that this can move on, but I, I do know that I've written an ending that could possibly lead to a sequel. Uh, but it's not going to be my next book if it is. But I, it, I wouldn't rule it out. Let's just see how it goes. You don't know if, how a book's going to be received really until it's out in the big white world. And the early reviews have been great. There's mm-hmm. a lot of enthusiasm for it. Um, so let's see where that goes, because I, I, I really did enjoy writing these characters. So can I ask what you're working on now? Yeah, I'm, I'm working on, I guess, technically what would be my first police procedural series um, set in Newcastle uh, with a working title of Mind Games for the first one. But I think we envisage it as a longer running series than my previous three book effort. So we'll see. I, I'm not, we haven't really discussed with my editor about how we're going to pitch this, because there is a kind of twist to the main character, but... I don't know how much we want to reveal before we start putting it out. Oh, I love a police procedural. So, and if it's, there's a twist in it, that sounds very interesting indeed. This is your fourth book. So you've gone through this process quite a lot. From the day you start writing to the day after publication, what day is your favourite and what day is your least favourite? I think my least favourite is definitely... I mean, I couldn't specify an exact day, but it's it's around the 30,000-word mark when you're writing the book. I think you speak to most writers, and they'll all tell you the same thing. It's like, you you know, your original idea and the start and the excitement of working with new characters keeps you blazing through until almost inevitably it's somewhere around 30,000 words. And then it's like you hit, it's like a marathon runner. You hit a wall and you, and you think, A, this is rubbish. B, I have no idea where this story is going. C, why would anybody want to read it? I've forgotten how to write a book. And that can last for, a, you know, days or weeks or whatever. But, but you have to kind of power through it at some stage. You just have to look, write something, write anything, get some words on a page, and then you can edit them later and make it better. Um, so that is definitely the moment in the whole process that's the worst for me, I think. Um, the best, wow, there's so many highlights, isn't there? I mean, it's a, you know, you can't lie, it's a joy being able to do this um, for a living full time. So there are so many great moments. Uh, but probably, I, I mean, I do like the start. I like start, I like to sit down with a blank page and just start because I, I tend to find the starts flow quite quickly um, and that feels very optimistic. So it's almost like the opposite of the 30,000 mark. It's, it's like you blaze away like five, six, seven chapters and you're thinking, wow, this is flowing and it's great. Uh, so that, that bit is lovely. But there's all the other bits, you know, like as I said to you earlier, I got my first copy of the hardback of You Can Run in the post on Friday morning, completely out of the blue. I didn't know it was even printed yet. Although, obviously, I hoped it was because it's yeah. coming out in a couple yeah. of weeks. But I, normally you get a big box and stuff and it just turned up in an envelope and I opened it and was like, oh, it's the hardback. Um, so that's lovely. But I love doing festivals and appearances. You know, I, there's nothing better than talking to readers who like your book. You know, it's the thing you dream of when you're writing it. If you, you think if you get one person who reads it and likes it, that will be fantastic. But when you've got a room full of people 
you want you to talk about it, then what could be better? And you've got a lot of fans because when I get a copy of a book, a proof in the post, I usually try and put it on social media. And when I put yours up, my goodness, it was swarms of people (laughs) saying, want to read this? Nice to hear. Well, readers are are terrific. And I do try to engage with them as much as I can. So, So I am quite lively on social media. And I do get a lot of messages from people and I always reply to them because why wouldn't you? It's just, mm. it, 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 as I said, it's a joy that people want to talk about the, the thing that you made up in your head. That's wonderful. Well, we come to the final question, which is the most important question on this podcast, Trevor. And it is, what is your biscuit of choice? What <laughs> is powering the writing of these super books? <laughs> I try because it's a lazy life writing if you're not careful. Like, you know, you basically sit on your ass for six hours a day, five days a week, possibly even more. So I try very hard not to snack. However, since lockdown, my wife's an academic and she spends most of her time now working from home, whereas she didn't used to. And she does like to snack. And I don't I do all the shopping. So normally there are no snacks in the house because I know if I buy them, I will eat them. So I don't buy them. But now things have changed a little bit. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I am very partial. I'm sure this is a regular answer to a chocolate hobnob um, as a biscuit. Uh, so if, if, if I was forced to eat biscuits, <laughs> it would be them. Well, we haven't had a chocolate hobnob for a while. In fact, the last person was Laura Purcell, who particularly liked, there was a special chocolate hobnob, a sticky toffee chocolate hobnob that was bought out oh really don't tell me about these things <laughs> i don't need tempting even more to go and get some biscuits. well apparently you can't get hold of them for love or money now so you i've never seen them and i like i say i do all the shopping i've never seen them but i do tend to avoid the biscuit aisle and the cake aisle oh dear well whatever works just keep writing trevor wood <laughs> whose latest book is you can run thank you so much you know, it's a pleasure philippa thanks for having me Coming up, one more author interview and more book reviews. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend that I don't right (laughs) now. Hold it in, hold on. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Well, so let's get on to the next book, and then after that, we'll go to Rob with his bookish call-in and more book reviews. And what everyone on the Facebook group is reading. So there's lots to to cover today. Anyway, the next book is If I Let You Go by Charlotte Levin. Let me read you the blurb on this one. Every morning, Janet Brown goes to work cleaning offices. It calms her. The cleanliness, neatness, all the things she's unable to do with her soul can be achieved with a damp cloth and a splash of bleach. However, the guilt she still carries about a devastating loss that happened 11 years ago cannot be erased. Then Janet finds herself involved in a train crash and, recognising the chance to do what she couldn't do all those years ago, she makes a decision. As news spreads of Janet's actions, her story inspires everyone around her, and for the first time her life has purpose and the future is filled with hope. But Janet's story isn't quite what it seems, and as events spiral out of control, she soon discovers that coming clean isn't an option, because if Janet washes away the lies, what long-buried truths will she finally have to face? And let's go to Charlotte for the first sentence. Three sheets of paper lie side by side. Edges must be neat, lined up. The contrast between the off-white and the black mock granite of the worktop exposes any misalignments. She's owned the stationery for years, a present from yet another drifted friend, never retrieved from the cupboard, never having noticed the delicate goldfinches printed in the right-hand corner, one perched on a branch, the other flying away. What a book this was. It, it's different again. I was I was just so taken in by it because I couldn't work out about this character and what was going on in her life and what had brought her to where she was. And, oh, there were times when I was cross and angry and upset. And, oh, it was just a great book that just swept me up and carried me along. And I wanted to just sit there and keep reading and find out what happened what happened in the past and what was going to happen in the future. But enough of me. Let's talk to Charlotte now. 
Well, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome Charlotte Levin, author of the wonderful book, If I Let You Go. Charlotte, welcome to the podcast. Ah, thank you. Thank you, Philippa. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Well, it is really great to have you here. And I wonder if we can just start off with the obvious first question. Can you just summarise this book for us? Yeah, I can try, um, but it's quite a hard, hard book to do without mm. giving spoilers. No spoilers, yeah. No spoilers, obviously, but it's um, it's essentially about a woman called Janet who is struggling with guilt from a tragic loss of her child 11 years ago. And um, she's in a sort of subtly but very distinctly coercive relationship both her and her husband blame her for their daughter's death. And basically she's then involved in a, a train crash, which seemingly turns her life around for the better. But the situation does spiral out of control somewhat. That's my attempt at not giving spoilers. Yes, there's a lot. There's a lot to this book. And I wondered what gave you the inspiration for this story. Well, the, the thing that I can't discuss quite fascinates me. Like with my first book as well, I'm very interested in protagonists that are, are very flawed and a sort of morally grey. But then I want to kind of think, well, why would someone do that? who would be the person who would do that because not everyone is good bad you know there's lots of gray areas to people um so i i first had that sort of concept and then and then it became more of a sort of character analysis of this person who would do that it, it came became more about janet about the thing she was overcoming then it became sort of like a device for her to change her life Um, But that was the initial seed. It's such an involving story to read. Was it was it quite hard to write? It was awful to write. (laughs) I had the (laughs) hardest time writing this book, let me tell you. It was written during lockdown. So, you know, it was all everything was chaotic outside and it was very difficult to write. And it was. And though now when I read read it back, like when I did my last edits, it seems so simple, but it was very complicated kind of making it that simple it was very important to me that it was realistic and that was very complicated to do even though at the end of it I was like well why did I find that so difficult because it seems so it seems so simple now but it, I did find it a challenge to write definitely let's talk about Janet and Janet Brown it's such a an ordinary name but such a challenging character did she really stay with you after you'd finished writing yeah I think Janet's ordinariness is essential to the book because it had to be just someone so ordinary and unassuming for the story to to work with so like her name and everything I wanted just to make it as bland as as anything and um I did really love her and wanted wanted her to be okay. And when you got the idea for the story, you say you're a, you're a pantser, you just sort of sit down and let the story take you over. Before you actually come, though, to start writing the, the book, do you just spend some time seeing the character or is it really just the book's about to happen, sit down, start writing? 
I am a pantser, but I'm also, I have to kind of know my plot points, um, but what happens in between or what, how that happens and what gets us there, I have no idea. But in terms of the character, I, I literally just kind of do very rough, know their ages. That's pretty much, <laughs> pretty much it. And considering my books are so character-led, I do very, very little character work beforehand. I used to do acting and I don't know whether it's more that. It's like I kind of get into a character as I'm writing rather than seeing it as an abstract list of they like this, they do that. It's sort of more immersive for me, I think. And I do think that does come from acting in my past. Yes, that's really interesting because I can just imagine you have to, you know, just click yourself and you're in in the character and there's no gradual change of that you're just in so I can see how that would work really well I mean I did have a lot of false starts and I always do so it takes it took me about 30,000 words to find myself into the book and how I was going to approach it not necessarily Janet's character she a lot she remained the same but the point of view, who was going to be telling the story, how I was telling the story. And then I did the last version and I thought, oh, this is it now. I've, I've, I've got her. I'm in her. I've got the story now. What was the most challenging point for you to write? I, there was no particular challenging, but also bear in mind, like with my debut book, I, I wrote that sort of over 10 years, five years intensely. And then everything is a whole different process once you get published. So a lot of it is to do with that, that you you have deadlines and you have like a year and it's just not the same process. So for me, I, I feel quite stressed when I've got like that hanging over my head. And because it was the first time and you're always thinking, what if the first book was a fluke? What if I can't do this again? So it was it was very stressful in that way. I'm hoping like the third time now I, I trust the process now. I, I trust it's not a fluke, so hopefully it won't be as stressful. But I, I did find it just overall quite difficult to write. But you're not on your own. So many people who are on their second book struggle. It is. The, the, I think the second book is definitely the worst because for ev, ev, all my author friends, it's been the same. And I think it is because you you don't think beyond that either. You just want to get published and get your first, but you don't actually think beyond um, writing to a, a deadline. And um, and there is, there's a lot of self-doubt that, that comes with it as well. But I think it is completely normal. I don't know anyone that didn't struggle with their second book. So I'm interested in what's the, the best day and the hardest or worst day of writing a book from the point of starting with the idea to the day after publication, what is the, the best and the worst point in that whole process? Well, the best is like some days, you know, it just it just works and you can feel it. And it is a bit like a, a, a drug. It's like so exciting when you can feel something really working and you're so into it. You know, so there are definite highs like that. I think the worst is reading back your first draft and being like, oh, OK. So that's what I've written, is it? Yeah, that's quite depressing. But I love editing. You see, I hate first drafts. I hate it with a passion. And you'd think because of that, I'd just bang one out quite quickly just to get past that process. But I, it's very slow. So in actual fact, my second draft, well, I did lots of drafts, but I, they're quite clean. My first draft is fairly clean, really, in terms of structure and everything. 
but I absolutely hate first draft. But I, I do, I love editing. That to me, where the magic happens. And I thought the title is very clever. If I let you go, because as the book goes on, it's almost there are different connotations yes. to that title. Yeah. Was it all? That. No, we 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 had we had a billion titles. I didn't pick that title, but in actual fact, I do think it worked really well because, as you say, it sort of works on multiple levels, and you can read into it what what you will. Um, so I do think it was a a clever title in the end. But no, we we struggled with the title. I gave a title to my first novel, but then I realised that you don't have much say, so I didn't put as much. I didn't be, I didn't come to it with like it's going to be called this because um, I know I have very little say in that. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking as the title for this book if you had chosen it? Gosh, there was lots of things on my list. I think the the survival of Janet Brown. Oh yeah. There was literally hundreds and they were all vetoed. <laughs> so, so it's like, whatever, you call it whatever. Um, and I'll be happy. I mean, I'm just interested in your progress as an author. If you had to identify the moment, the one moment in your life that sort of made you become an author, what what would it be? I didn't write when I was younger, like many authors. I wasn't massively into books. I was really into plays because I was interacting and I used to read plays like books I've got hundreds of plays still and I just used to read them and I used to write things to be acted for myself so if like I was did courses where we had to do um, like an end of course showcase and things and I'd write something to myself for myself just so I had a good part <laughs> that kind of thing but I never took the writing that seriously but then I started to do a few local courses just in a little cafe that was near me and I, I wanted to write plays at that time and but then the course was about prose but I still wanted to do it and and then I started to get more into it I joined a, a writers group but I never took myself seriously I didn't feel like I was capable of doing it that you know it was something that other people do but I enjoyed it you know that that was it and then I moved I used to live in London and I moved to Manchester when my mum was diagnosed with cancer supposedly only temporarily to look after her Um, and I started writing a little bit more then of if I let you go and then she died and I just threw myself into it 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 was just a like okay I can't deal with real life so I'm just going to do this now um, and then as I was writing my dad died mm. so then it was like okay I really have to do this now and I just poured all my energy and everything and determination into doing it but that it wasn't really until that point that I had a, a switch where you know death really can make you look at your own life and I just thought, okay, I think I can do this. People keep telling me I can do this. So I'm just going to try and do it now. And I did. <laughs> Gosh, I'm so sorry, though, that you've gone through all of that. I mean, yeah. so, so much to deal with. It, it must have affected your writing as it, well. It did, but I think, strangely, in a good way. With my first book, there's a lot about grief again. I think this is a recurring um, subject. In a way, I think it made me more immersed in writing the book. So, I mean, obviously, when I say not in a good way, like I would not have the book and have my family back. But I used it in a way 
that I think actually was beneficial to my writing, to what I wrote. But I think that's interesting because people often read books to escape from difficulties that they're going mm. through and to know that you, as you were writing to escape as some solace to, to you know to get away from Absolutely. all that you're doing yeah no I, I I honestly feel like writing my first book saved my life it was very dark times and I I I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't written that book <laughs> so l- let me ask then what what is the next book can you tell us anything about it the next book well publishing likes you to kind of have a genre that you stick to and I've not done that <laughs> somehow I've not done that so the second book is very different to my first book and the third book I think is different again but also not because there are themes running through and I think it's still very much like I've written it um but I suffer with anxiety and agoraphobia and this book is about it's an idea I had literally in my 20s actually for a play but it's about a young woman who's agoraphobic who falls in love with her postman but it's not really a romance because it doesn't conform to romantic niceness so again it's quite different and I I don't know whether I can get away with doing this different thing (laughs) but I'm going to try well I think you can because your books are character led that's your genre in a way yeah that's that's what I'm hoping and it is that sort of very flawed character thing that that's what interests me as a writer and I think it's such a, a difficult, kind of brutal business, really, in a way, publishing. And it's really hard work. So if you're writing things rather that you don't want to write and you're not having that enjoyment about writing it, then there's not much point in, you know, I think you've got to do that. You have to enjoy the writing because everything else you've got no control over. It's quite, well, it's not quite, it's very difficult. So I think I want to be able to write what I really want to write. And we want you to write what you we really want to write because we love reading it. But before you go, there's one final question that we ask every author and it is essential. It's wrong to end on a flippant note, but we'll ask it anyway. <laughs> what, Charlotte, is your biscuit of choice? What is powering the writing of these wonderful books? Oh, goodness. Well, I'm a vegan, which is very annoying because all the biscuits I love are not vegan. <laughs> so I've had to love it. <laughs> I've had to very much limit my biscuit choices over the years. Um, So I will go with a chocolate bourbon, which is very basic and boring, but I'm allowed to eat it. So that's where when you're vegan, it's it's like, can I eat it? That's that's what becomes exciting. So. <laughs> Thank goodness chocolate bourbons are okay. So there, there we go. News flash. No, that's brilliant. Well, Charlotte Levin, author of If I Let You Go. Thank you so much. No, thank you, Philippa. Next, we've got a bookish call from Rob. I should remind you, you can call into the show if you want to and you can tell me what you're reading at the moment or what you've read recently and really enjoyed, any bookish thing. And you do need to tell us what is your biscuit of choice. Rob failed last time he called, so he's calling back to make amends for that, but he has a reason. You can find out how to call in. You can go to the Facebook group. There is a pin notification there or in the show notes for this episode. There's the link as well. And you can just click on on that link and record a message and you can be included on the show. We'd love to have you on. So let's hear from Rob. Hi there, Philippa and book lovers around the world. I hope everybody's feeling fit and keeping well. You did say 
when I called in last that I needed to phone back and tell you about my biscuit habits. Well, sadly, although this may be heresy to you, Philippa, I don't actually eat biscuits. I'm quite rotund and have no willpower, so any biscuits at all are banned from this house. And then the thing that galvanised me into action was your talk about bins. Around here, what I do is I come downstairs, I look out the little hole in the front door and see what everybody else has put out, and then I just trot out and put either the grey bin or the green bin whichever it is. Finally, on a vaguely book-related note, a couple of weeks ago you talked about The Last Day by Andrew Hunter Murray. I read that as well when it first came out. I was expecting something else because Andrew Hunter Murray is quite the accomplished comedian. He's one of the fact-checkers and researchers on QI. He's one of the QI elves that have their podcast, No Such Thing as a Fish. And he's also part of the Jane Austen improv group, Ostentatious. So I was expecting something totally different, but I wasn't disappointed. I think I've probably gone way over time, but you can always chop some of this rubbish out. Take care, Philippa. Absolutely brilliant, Rob. Thank you so much. Right, we need to go on to the next book. And this is called Freeze by Kate Simmons. Now, let me read you the blurb. Once I heard about this, I was sold. I was in for this. Frozen Out is set to be a TV sensation. In the harshest Arctic conditions, with no chance of help from the outside world, eight contestants will push themselves to breaking point for a £100,000 prize. Camerawoman D is there to capture every second, all but invisible, just how she likes it. She has her own reasons for taking this job, and the less attention she gets, the better. But as rumours spread of corner cutting and safety risks, tempers among the cast and crew start to fray. And when one of the contestants is found dead of an apparent heart attack, it seems like the natural culmination of the bad luck dogging the show. Only D is sure that this death wasn't natural and that it won't be the last. In the place where the world outside wants you dead, where do you run when the greatest danger is the secrets you brought with you? Oh, let's do first sentence. Prologue. She stands in the black night wearing only pyjamas, the mist parting around her as it rolls across the open hillside. There is silence, except for her own breath and that faint rasping by her feet. Maybe she could still save him, but she can't even bring herself to look. If only she'd done what she was told. If only she'd stayed on the other side of the wood in view of her tent. Loved it. Really good. It had all the elements I wanted. It kept the pages turning. I thought it was really, yeah, it was great. If what the, the blurb has sounded any anyway like something you would enjoy get it and read it because i really do think you would and that is freeze the next one one moment by becky hunter ah, let's do the blurb on this one the day scarlet dies should have been one of the most important of her life it doesn't feel fair that she'll never have the chance to fulfill her dreams and now she's still here wherever here is, watching the ripple effect of her death on the lives of those she loved the most. Evie cannot contemplate her life without Scarlet, and she certainly cannot forgive Nate, the man she blames for her best friend's death. But Nate keeps popping up when she least expects him to, catapulting Evie's life in directions she'd never let herself imagine possible, ways perhaps even those closest to her had long since given up on. If you could go back, knowing everything that happens after, everything that happens because of that one moment in time, would you change the course of history or would you do it all again? Now let's go for the first sentence. I'm actually going to do chapter one instead of the prologue. The morning that I die 
I'm in a rush to leave the flat. I couldn't get to sleep last night, too on edge. Replaying what happened earlier in the evening, my stomach curdling with anxiety. So I slept through the alarm. I really enjoyed this book. You can imagine it touches on some obviously very serious subjects. And it just, it struck a chord with me. I found it... It is. Don't think it's just a sad book. It's not. It's joyful in so many ways. I found it. I just thought it was great. It delivered what I wanted it to deliver. And yes, it had. There's a moment. I don't want to spoil it by saying when that moment was, but I was just like, oh, my goodness. Okay, that's not what I was expecting in a good way. I thought it was brilliantly written. Just yes, first class. Very good. One moment. Becky Hunter coming on to the last book now. Mrs. March, uh, Virginia Fito. This is this is a book. <laughs> it is, isn't it, Philippa? Well done, Philippa. This is a book. Oh, gosh, I've just I hope you didn't hear that from the book. Never mind. <laughs> just I haven't bent the spine for anyone that heard that and, and thought I bent the spine. But it's because I listened to this on audiobook, actually, even though I've got a beautiful book with sprayed edges with cockroaches on that that is a theme in the book so yes I wasn't bending the spine I was just opening it and it, it sounds like it Philippa you're waffling get on with it okay George's marches George's marches see that doesn't even make sense We'll start again. George March's latest novel is a smash hit. No one could be prouder than Mrs March, his dutiful wife, who revels in his accolades and relishes the lifestyle and status his success brings. A creature of routine and decorum, Mrs March lives an exquisitely controlled existence on the Upper East Side. Every morning begins the same way, with a visit to her favourite patisserie to buy a loaf of olive bread, but her latest trip proves to be her last, when she suffers an indignity from which she may never recover, an assumption by the shopkeeper that the protagonist in George Marsh's new book, A Pathetic Prostitute, more of a figure of derision than desire, is based on Mrs March. One casual remark robs Mrs March not only of her beloved olive bread, but of the belief that she knew everything about her husband and herself, sending her on an increasingly paranoid journey, one that starts within the pages of a book, but may very well uncover both a killer and the long-buried secrets of Mrs March's past. OK, this is... Uh, it is an exquisite book, and it is... There's a lot about the sort of element of control that someone tries to have and about how you want to have a face that people see, that they hold you in the highest regard when inside you're crumbling. What I would say is, I, as I mentioned, I listened to the audio book, and it is, it's not an uplifting book. It's a book I started thinking one day, why am I feeling so down? And it was because I was listening to this book. So if you're on the downer and you're happy to stay there and wallow, Fine. There, there might be other books I could suggest that might l help to lift you, but this is certainly going to keep you there. There's nothing wrong with it. It just shows you get so caught up in how Mrs. March is feeling, and oh, my goodness, she's she's one, Mrs. March. She really is. So, it's a book I won't forget. It's a book that was different. And it's a book that made me feel how the character's feeling. So in that respect, it's brilliantly written.
But if you're looking for a fun light read, then I would suggest perhaps not this. It might be different if you're just reading it. I would I would say that because with an audiobook, as I've said before, you know, you can't just fast forward easily through the more uncomfortable bits. So you are fully involved in what's going on. So, yeah, good book. Just just different. Anyway, we've come to the end of the book reviews. And now I need to tell you what the lovely Facebook group are reading because they've been reading some absolutely super books. And it's so nice to hear from them and hear all that they are reading. So let me go through. First of all, we've got Claire, who's reading The Last Good Summer by J.J. Green. I have not heard of this book. I have failed. Claire, let me know what you think. Jo is reading The Outcast Dead by Ellie Griffiths. She started listening to the Ruth Galloway books after listening to Ellie on this podcast, and she's loving them. So that's very good. Uh, Tracy is reading The Goldfinch by Donna Tart. She said, it's taking me longer than most. It's a hefty old book. It is indeed, Tracy. I hope you're enjoying it. Glynis has just started reading 70 Times 7 by John Gordon Sinclair. Oh yes, is that is that a, a good read, Glynis? Let me know. Aim is reading Runtime by Catherine Ryan Howard. I've read some of her other books. I haven't read this one. I need to read it. More books, you see. Amanda's reading Away with the Penguins by Hazel Pryor. I've got that book to read. I need to read that one. Judy's reading The Seagull by Anne Cleves and Blood Orange by Harriet Tice. Fantastic books. Nick's reading A Place to Call Home by Faye Keenan. Johan's reading The Whispering Muse by Laura Purcell. Of course, we had Laura on recently. Hope you're enjoying that book, Johan. Sue's reading The Atlas Sick. Atlas Sick? Atlas Six. I can't even pronounce my words. I'm so hungry at the moment, I have to say. There's no excuse, but th there we go. And uh, there's been a bit of a discussion on it. Sue's halfway through and uh, she's, yes, she's she's not flying through it, it's fair to say. Demelda's reading Day of Fallen Night. Janine's reading Still Life. And uh, yes, yeah, she's, Janine's struggling with it a bit, as, as I did, Janine, I have to say. Great book. I mean, you know, each to their own. Um, but uh, uh, yes, I struggled with it too. Julie's reading Snowflake by Louise Nealon and she's loving it. It's a quick read and really enjoying that one. Amanda's reading The Ghost by George Mann as she's going to meet him on a reading retreat in May. She said it's a totally new genre for her, steampunk. But this sounds lovely, Amanda, a reading retreat. Should we do a quick book reviews reading retreat with obviously a large supply of biscuits and lots of books and we sit there reading. You see, the trouble is I'd want to talk to you all and not, not sit and read. But anyway, Jan's reading Susie Steiner's Remain Silent. I love Susie's books and I was, uh, yeah, so sad Jan informed us that Susie died. I, I didn't know, so, so that's sad. And Jan has still not had time to listen to this week's episode of the podcast, Jan. This is this is serious stuff, you know. Uh, Karen's reading Dead of Night by Simon Scarrow. She was a bit worried it would be heavy for her, but she's enjoying it. She's really enjoying it. So that's got, got the thumbs up there. Annette's just started The Turn of the Key by Ruth Ware. She's got high hopes for a bit of creepy fun. Fiona's reading The End of Men by Christina Sinebert. Yes, uh, written in 2018 about a viral global pandem pandemic. I really am hungry. I'm sorry I can't pronounce my words when I'm this hungry. Ali is currently reading Jane Harper on The Survivors. And Ali has very kindly said that she misses me on Dum De Dum, which was the other podcast I used to do. I miss Dum De Dum as well, Ali, an awful lot. Fiona 
uh, is reading, well, she isn't reading at the moment. She's about to start the murder book by Mark Billingham. And she's got a lot of family stuff going on at the moment. So she's not getting much reading time. Fiona, I hope everything is OK with you and thinking of you. We've got Mark coming on soonish i can't remember he's on the list to come on anyway he's booked in so he'll be on the, the podcast debbie is still reading the immortal life of henrietta lax she's taking debbie a while to go through it presumably i hope you're still enjoying it as much as you were debbie and uh, yes so those are the books that people are reading such a selection isn't that wonderful love it anyway i must go and leave you i've got some brilliant books to talk to you about next year next year <laughs> Philippa needs to eat. I've got some brilliant books to talk to you about next week. I've got some great authors to interview. I just can't wait. So look after yourselves, please. Look after yourselves. I hope you're okay. And I'm just sending a virtual hug to you all. And I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books. Said no one. Ever. See you again soon. 5 years younger. In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.